Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Robin Hearn. Our podcast is based at Oklahoma State University, which is in the heart of Tornado Alley. As you know, natural disasters occur at random places and times. Our podcast today focuses on recovering from these events. Dr. Liesl Ritchie, Assistant Professor in Sociology, sat down with Dr. Kenneth Sewell for the OSU Research on Tap series to discuss her research on how communities cope with disasters and why resilience matters. Here's the interview with Dr. Ritchie on this week's Inside OSU podcast. Well, now I first came to know you as a, as a disaster sociologist, someone who came in after something horrific had happened at a, uh, in a community and tried to understand what was going on. Now you're doing resilience. Explain to me that, that how you go from disasters to, to that concept of resilience. Sure, so I did my dissertation research on the Exxon Valdez oil spill. That was a disaster. It was, and I, I entered the community of Cordova, Alaska there, which is considered ground zero for the spill, about 10 years after it happened. So what I was doing was looking at the long-term impacts of the oil spill. And I started my interest in resilience there, actually, trying to figure out the people who did well and seemed to be thriving as opposed to just surviving following the spill and what they were doing differently, how they were interacting with each other, how they were taking time away from the community. And then over the years, after studying several disasters, including the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, um, I felt like I could take what I'd learned by studying the impacts of disasters and put that in on the front end. And so look at social impact assessment work associated with oil and gas development activities, for example, but other community development activities. And we got started doing that with the Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline Project up in Canada, where we were invited in to do a social impact assessment for a community there. And it uh, just kind of flowed from there, taking again what we learned from our research and trying to use that to help communities on the front end so that in the event that something happened, that they would be prepared, that they would be resilient. So resilience is one of those concepts that is used in a lot of different, a lot of different sciences. Actually, even used in physics, like mm -hmm. in material science. And if you take a, a particular substance and how resilient is it? Can it bend? Can it can it retake its first shape? But when we're talking about communities, what what is what is resilience? What do we mean when we say a community is resilient? Right. So when we're talking about a community, we're looking at a community's ability to anticipate to absorb and adapt to shocks and stressors, whatever those shocks and stressors might be. Like a football game that doesn't go as well as it should have on a Saturday. That, that could definitely be a shock okay. and a stressor. Um, but actually, that's a really good example because we hear the term resilience all the time. You know, families that have a tragedy are resilient when they get interviewed by newspapers. Those are the kinds of words that they use. Uh, athletes are considered resilience. We hear that. Uh, from broadcasters, teams are resilient. So yeah, it's a, it's a concept that translates very broadly. But we do have kind of almost, almost simplistic concepts, you know, maybe memes that go around on our social media, you know, what, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, and I'm not sure I've ever believed those things. But so, so really when you dig down into a community then, what are the pieces of this resilience that you, that you work with as a sociologist? So the pieces that I and others in the social sciences work with, there are seven forms of what we call community capital. Community capital. So right. 
I think of capital like money. Right, so financial capital is one of those. Okay. We have natural resource capital, we have built infrastructure capital, but we also have some other forms of capital, including human capital, we have political capital, we have cultural capital, and we have social capital. Social capital. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was with you all the way there. Political capital, I, I, I do a lot of politicking in my work. Physical capital, infrastructure, what's social capital? Social capital has to do with networks, associations, and trust between people and groups and organizations in communities, which we have a lot here of in Stillwater, from what I can tell. I've only been here for a couple of years, um, but the community ties and the associations uh, and the relationships between people seem to be very strong. Hmm. So when you, when you go into a community and you're, I mean, you, you just told me beforehand, and as the Vice President for Research, I really appreciate when I hear this, that you just submitted a grant proposal just today to uh, study resilience and to, to do a study. But when you go into a community to do a study like this, what do you actually do? What does a study like this look like? So if I'm your research assistant or your research associate, what, what do we do in that community to study resilience? So two of the studies and the research projects that I've been involved with in the last few years, uh, one was with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, and the other was the National Academy of Sciences. And the NIST project involved developing a community resilience planning guide. And NIST focused mainly on the built environment, but they called me in as a sociologist to make sure that the social dimensions of resilience were captured in what they were doing. And the other project with the National Academies was developing uh, measures and metrics associated with community resilience. And they covered all of those different capitals that I just mentioned. Uh, one of the projects, the one that I submitted today, has to do with disaster preparedness in community-based organizations, particularly food banks. Food um, banks. Right, right. So the proposal went into Feeding America that has a, a nationwide uh, network of food banks and we would be focusing on the Midwest, focusing on their disaster preparedness and planning and response capabilities. So when you're, when you're going in to look at the built environment, like the NIST project, you're looking at building codes and adherence processes and, and like old versus new construction, are you, that's the, that the level of analysis right, for that right. sort of thing? But then when you're, say, developing measures and metrics, how do, how do you measure this sort of thing? So, for example, with social capital, the kinds of things that we're looking at there have to do with these trusts and networks and associations. Yeah. So a lot of that involves collecting primary data. So going into communities, you might do interviews, you might do focus groups, you might do surveys, you might do workshops to better understand what's going on at a community level. So there's a lot of qualitative work that goes on. So qualitative, you ask people what they think about things and... Right. Right. Try to understand and organize what they say. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Um, some of the other forms of capital, um, for example, um, when we talk about the social dimensions of resilience, one of the things, just like we need to understand in the built infrastructure about weaknesses and vulnerabilities, we need to understand the same things in communities. We need to understand where the vulnerable populations might be, the at-risk populations. But we also need to understand, more importantly, I think, the capabilities that exist in communities and the ways that communities come together in the face of a disaster or mm. hazard events. Stillwater is a bit of a laboratory in a sense. We've, certainly the Stillwater community, the OSU community is, is uh, 
undergone some traumatic events at, at the community level. Let's say that Stillwater community leaders hire you. Come into Stillwater, bring your dream team. Help us be super resilient. Make us super resilient. So first of all, is that, would you take that on? And then if so, who would you bring in and what would, you, what would we be doing over the course of the next year or so as a community with you and your colleagues making us super resilient? So the first thing that I would do is recommend bringing together the community's formal and informal leaders. So before going outside the community, getting a better handle on what's going on inside the community. And I and the team of researchers, um, sociologists, I would call on graduate students, I would call on colleagues in the Department of Sociology and other departments in the social sciences to really get a handle on what's going on here in, in Stillwater. Formal leaders, mayor, city council, et cetera. Right. When, what, do you, what do you mean by informal leaders? So we tend to term informal leaders perhaps as um, church leaders, um, representatives of community-based organizations, even though they have their own formal networks. We don't necessarily always turn to them. And as we know from research, uh, those organizations tend to be the pillars of society, particularly in smaller communities. So we would draw upon those. But there are also uh, other people, when you get into communities, who are identified as leaders. And I've lived in communities that were small enough that you could go down to the local coffee shop and find those informal leaders because they were making big plans over coffee. Okay. All right. So you, so you, find, the, you, you find the movers and shakers, the mm -hmm. formal and informal leaders. And then what do you do with this? Well, typically in the community we need a champion. There's typically one to two individuals in a given community that are interested in focusing on resilience. And it takes that kind of energy of a local champion to really bring to bear uh, the resources, not only the financial resources, but the other forms of resources and, and capital that we've talked about already. And then what I would do is call in, as you suggested, my dream team. Your dream team? The okay. dream team. So who's this? Uh, so geographers, uh, I would invite urban planners, I would invite other sociologists, I would invite uh, people from the engineering world, certainly, hmm. um, people who deal with natural resources, across all of these different forms of capital. And one of the things that I would recommend is that we draw from the community on campus here at OSU because there's a wealth of talent and scholarly uh, work that's going on here that I think could help uh, in terms of building resilience. So do you, I, I just realized we've been talking about resilience almost in the abstract. Do you, do you need to have a guess at what we're protecting against? Like, I mean, obviously we could have droughts here. We can have, I started to say hurricanes. We can't quite have hurricanes, but it seems like we have every other natural disaster here. Yeah. Certainly have tornadoes and, and, uh, and earthquakes and so forth, but then human-made uh, insults to our integrity. Do you, does it matter what, what you're preparing for or is it just resilience, resilience? Well, one of the first questions we tend to ask when we're talking about resilience is resilience to what and for whom? And so your question is, is well taken. The other piece of resilience is that there are individuals and scholars who say we can do an all hazards approach so that it doesn't matter what hazard we're actually um, trying to buffer against. Uh, so the debate is ongoing about that. Uh, I think one of the things that we would do, first of all, is do a risk assessment and involve the experts in what kinds of risk we're really facing here. 
And thinking about that, um, you know, we've, we've already dealt with floods, we've already dealt with some local tragedies, uh, we've got ice storms, we've got other kinds of, of things, of course tornadoes would be some of them. But I think that that risk assessment and bringing people together to identify what they're most concerned about is something that's going to be really important. And then following that, um, determining what's most important, seeing what kinds of resources are available. So doing an inventory, again, of capacities and of potential vulnerabilities to those different kinds of hazards. And again, looking very particularly at for whom, you know. There are a lot of us who have a lot of resources and might be able to get up and go, and others... Leave if we just right. go live somewhere else if it got t too tough here. Right, right. And even the ability to evacuate is not necessarily something that is across an entire community. So thinking about those things is something that would be really important in that, that year or so that, that you're bringing people together. Uh, the Rockefeller 100 Resilient Cities initiative is a good example of that. Uh, they selected 100 cities from around the world that uh, applied to be part of this program. They infused $1 million in each community to develop resilience programs and to fund a chief resilience officer hmm. in each of those communities. And interestingly enough, those communities weren't looking necessarily at just disasters as we think of disasters, but they were also thinking about uh, economic hazards, they were thinking about health hazards, so they expanded uh, the concept of resilience to include those things. Okay, so I'm not a community leader and I'm not an informal mover and shaker. I'm not the person down at the coffee shop solving all the problems. But you'd I'm, be on my team. No, no, okay. Well, I'm, trying to, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really talking about, I'm talking about an abstract me, a, a hypothetical <laughs> me. So I'm an electrician and I get up every day and I go to work for a local electrical company and do my job and come home and try to put food on the table. And uh, so what, what would I notice about this year or whatever our preparation time when we're becoming super resilient. What would what would change, or what would I notice in my life? Well, nothing would probably change in the immediate uh, future. Uh, you know, these programs that are intended to build resilience around the country and around the world they take a long time, and they don't come without a price tag either. But hopefully, that electrician, you as a as yeah, a leader, just... would would come to the table, be part of these workshops and make sure that the voices of not just the leaders that are informal and formal are heard, but those throughout the community uh, and, and diverse populations would be heard. And ideally, that electrician would be at the table and share that information with his or her colleagues, friends and, and neighbors, and just through the broader networks uh, that that individual might have. We've made ourselves super resilient. Maybe a disaster doesn't come. Obviously, you know, we, we all pay for insurance policies that we hope we never have to use. Um, but is that what this is? Is this like becoming more resilient? Is it, is it only affect us if we, if we then have a catastrophe or a disaster to, to be resilient against? Or is there some other benefit that communities get out of becoming more resilient? That's a great question and it's asked all the time. Particularly with respect to you know the political cycles, you know, is it going to happen in the next couple of years? If it doesn't affect why me, would I want to pay for it? Right, right, yeah. exactly. Um, but we do have evidence to show that community well-being 
uh, is improved, the quality of life is improved by pulling people together, helping people whose paths might not cross interact with one another. And so the quality of life in communities tends to improve. And the economic uh, welfare of a community tends to improve as well. I'd like to thank Dr. Ritchie for sitting down with Dr. Sewell for the OSU Research on Tap series. This series takes place on the third Monday of every month at Iron Monk Brewery. That's all from us today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I'm Robin Hearn. Thanks for listening. <music>